passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This episode, episode 159, for the love of the game, on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA playoffs. I should say the NBA Finals. That's going to be exciting. NFL futures, fights, you whether it's UFC boxing, you name it, Bet Online has you covered. Bet Online, it's easy to get started. So head to the website today or use your mobile device. Join with promo code BLEAV. That's B L E A V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, promo code BLEAV, B L E A V to get your welcome bonus of 50% on your money. Bet Online, where the game starts. With that said, episode 159 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. episode 159 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network with your boy Aaron Tobin Hess. And we're recording late on a Monday evening, Memorial Day weekend, and the New York Rangers have done it. They have advanced. They beat the Carolina Hurricanes in Game 7, 6-2 in what was a really a stress-free game for the New York Rangers. Going into this game, home team had won each of its three games. And the New York Rangers stole one on the road, but they didn't just steal one. They absolutely dominated in Game 7. I mean, this game wasn't stressful at all, as I just said. 6-2, even after the first period when they were up 2-0, they cashed in two power play goals. You were feeling pretty good. And then they go up 3-0, and you were kind of like, all right, it's, it's done from here. 4-0. Tony D'Angelo for the Hurricanes scores 1-4-1, and you're just like, ah, maybe there's a chance. And then Philip Heedle quieted that real real quick 5-1 and the Rangers add an empty netter 6-2 they are on to the next round to the Eastern Conference Finals and they will face off against the two-time defending champions Tampa Bay Lightning who have been resting now for a couple of days considering they swept the Florida Panthers beat them up pretty easily and now the New York Rangers will have a quick turnaround 36 hours and then they host the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. Now, the Rangers have handled the Tampa Bay Lightning this year in the regular season, but as you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning in the playoffs are a whole different beast. I mean, they have won 10 straight playoff series, 10 straight. And while Igor Shesterkin, who was great tonight and great in this series and is going to win, most probably going to win the Vezina Trophy, Vasilevsky, for the Tampa Bay Lightning is lights out, especially in the playoffs. So the Rangers have their word cut out for them, but the magical season continues. Just a monster win for the Rangers tonight. Awesome, awesome stuff. Let's go Rangers. And now moving on to the NBA Finals. The Finals matchup is set. We have the Boston Celtics prevailing in Game 7 against the Miami Heat. An absolutely crazy game in what was an up and down series like 
I've never seen a series quite like this in the NBA where you had the first four games, you were exchanging blowouts, like the tide was turning in each game, like the just the vibes for each fan base were going up and down. Celtics fans were thinking the sky was falling, and then they're the best team in the world. Sky is falling, best team in the world. And what was really a boring, tough series to watch because of all the blowouts, then you get games six and seven where Boston stole one on the road in game five. Well, they didn't really just steal one. They blew them out. And then you think Boston's going to clinch it at home in game six. Jimmy Butler has a masterpiece, 47 points, just awesome. Miami wins on the road in game six. And then in game seven, after Boston came out hot, basically we're we're winning the game by double digits for 80% of the game. Miami goes on a crazy run in the last four minutes after Boston's offense goes in the toilet. Basically, they were stalling. It was horrible to watch. Turnovers, offensive fouls, just making every dumb play you can imagine. But that's what Miami does because they're scrappers and clars. And Jimmy Butler was sensational in game seven to the point where he had a chance to win it with about 12 seconds left. Grabs a rebound off a Marcus Smart, terrible looking layup attempt. Down two, he has Al Horford backpedaling, pulls up for a transition three in rhythm off the front rim. And people are going to say that Butler settled there, that he should have gone all the way to the rim, that he had Al Horford backpedaling. Jimmy's not a great three-point shooter. I'm sorry. You cannot question Jimmy Butler's shot attempt there. After playing 48 minutes, he played all 48 minutes in game seven. was sensational, absolutely sensational. 35 points, just awesome, absolutely awesome, cementing himself as a top 10, 11 player in this league because now he's had moments in multiple playoffs where he's been the best player on the court definitively against guys who are considered to be top 10 players, Jason Tatum, and even though it was the bubble, he was the best player on the court in an NBA Finals game with LeBron James. He's had moments. He's had monster moments now in multiple playoff series. Jimmy Butler is that dude. I know people don't like to talk about him like he's that guy because of his personality, because of the fact that he was drafted 30th overall. His rise was a little slower than most to being this good. But make no mistake, he is this good. And... If you're that guy, you earn the right to take that shot. I don't care what his percentages say in the regular season, all right? Because he shoots it way better from three in the postseason and made a bunch of big threes in the playoffs this year. Jimmy Butler earned the right to take that shot. He earned the right to try and win it right there in regulation because he probably knew that going into overtime, they had no juice left in his legs, in Kyle Lowry's legs. Bam looked cooked. Everybody looked cooked. I have no problems with that shot, but he misses. It's a make-or-miss league sometimes, and the Boston Celtics advance to play the Golden State Warriors, who took care of business in Game 5 against the Dallas Mavericks, as I predicted. Six finals in eight years for the Golden State Warriors. An unbelievable run of success. And I know there have been different iterations of this Warrior team. You had 2015 and 2016, then you had the Durant years, and then you have the post-Durant years, and another run which really cements Steph Curry's status in the history of NBA basketball. And I know on Twitter there's back and forth of like, you know, who's better than who, and we get into these debates. I am no different. I take part in these debates. I love them sometimes, sometimes too much. But I'll say, I'll tell you this right now. If I'm starting a team, I'm taking Stephen Curry over Kevin Durant. I understand Kevin Durant won those finals MVPs in 2017-2018. But Steph Curry, not just because of his play, but because of how he acts as a professional, what he's like in the organization, Steph Curry's a builder of worlds. Kevin Durant is the icing on the cake. Steph Curry is the cake, okay? Steph Curry doesn't get enough credit for all the things he does to help his team win. And it involves him sometimes not even having the ball because he's that incredibly unselfish and because he 
has that much gravity and the fact that he's improving on defense this year has affected his shooting, which is still stellar. Stellar for everybody else. It may have been a down year for him. I think 38% from three, which is a down year for him, given that volume, which is still absurd. But Steph Curry is the most unselfish superstar probably in NBA history. He and Tim Duncan. And yes, I would take that guy over Kevin Durant starting my franchise any day of the week. And it's just so great, so, so great that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, one was a Celtic, one was on the Golden State Warriors, and those two knuckleheads decided, oh, you know, we should team up and try and run this league. And guess what? The Brooklyn Nets, with those two schmigags, have won absolutely dick. And their former teams are going to the finals. And I like Kevin Durant. I really do. He's he's an incredible basketball player. Kyrie Irving, I don't care for as much. But I just think it's super appropriate that when teams handle their business the right way, they get rewarded. So kudos to the Warriors. Kudos to the Celtics. I think the Warriors are going to win in seven, as we talk about later on in the podcast with a recurring guest. I don't feel good about it. This Celtics team is a gritty team. I would have felt the same way if Miami had won game seven. I know I was seeing a lot on Twitter saying the Warriors are going to roll. Whether it was Boston or Miami, I did not think that was going to be the case. But we should see how it plays out. But yeah, should be a really interesting finals. And we're going to talk about it with a recurring guest in just a matter of moments. Exciting night in sports tonight. Let's go Rangers. And with that said, let's bring on a recurring guest to talk about the NBA Finals. This episode of the For the Love of the Game, Sean the Belief podcast is brought to you by AutoApprove. AutoApprove is an online service that makes vehicle refinancing easier and faster. AutoApprove connects vehicle owners with a network of top credit unions, banks, and finance companies to find the best available interest rates. That helps you handle the paperwork, simplifying the vehicle refinancing process from the beginning to end and putting money back in your wallet. Take your tag light to the next level with more money in your pocket. Not only will you save thousands on your auto loan with working with auto approve, but for all listeners that refinance through auto approve, they will send you a hundred dollars cash to your mailbox. That's right. They'll not only help you lower your monthly payment, but if you use auto approve promo code slash believe, they'll send you $100 back cash back. To find out how much you can save and claim your $100 cash back again, go to autoapprove.com slash believe. Auto approve. Save money on your car loan. So I'm bringing him back because the Celtics made the finals. He claims to be a Celtics fan. I'm still not 100% sure, but we're letting him gloat. Mr. Avi Wexler, you know him well. Avi, what's good, bud? Happy Memorial Day. What's cracking? Oh, I'm just elated. I think relieved is probably the best word to describe how this series has gone. But, I mean, just so happy that the Celtics are back in the finals. It's been a grueling three and a half years since the last time a Boston sports team was in, the, was in a championship game. So, you know, after that long stretch, I'm just happy to be back. I don't want to hear any of this. All right, enough with that. Enough with that. That's not the vibe today. Uh, So I want to talk about the series against Miami because I can't remember another series that had just through the first five games, the incredible mood swings. You had blowouts everywhere. You had, you know, blowout for Miami, blowout for Boston, blowout for Miami, blowout for Boston. Boston takes care of game five, which you were at in Miami. And then you're probably thinking Boston is going to take care of business at home. And what do you know? Jimmy Butler puts on a, a, a performance for the ages, a masterpiece, 47 points, monster game. Kyle Lowry comes back from the dead. And then we had game seven last night, which was also an up and down game. So I, I ask you this coming out of game five, where were you? mentally in terms of your confidence level in the Celtics how are you feeling and then after game six happened going into game seven what was your vibe like what was your mental state well so you said you you nailed it perfectly where you said like this was a series about mood swings and 
just how the teams competed was also just how my confidence level was going. I think going into the series, I thought the Celtics were the better team top to bottom. Um, and then they lose game one as all teams coming off of a grueling game seven do. And they were missing Horford and smart for that game. Come back game two, they, they blow the doors off of them. And then it was obviously just back and forth game after game four, where uh, the Celtics tied up in the series. And then I, then I made the decision to go to game five. It was weird seeing this, the team live in the playoffs only because that was the best I've seen them live since. I don't even know. I mean, probably the best I've ever seen this core team live and then seeing them just eviscerate the heat and not letting the heat get anything in transition, nothing in the half court. I was, and then just seeing how dead the heat were, or at least dead on arrival. It just seemed to me as if this game was, this series was not going to go any more than six, which is what I had predicted originally. I think you and I both agreed like this was going to be a series where Jimmy Butler was going to give, was going to win you two games and then maybe Bam gets you another one. But other than that, the Celtics just had the better team. But then game six happens. The Celtics blow it at home. Butler plays, I would say, the best uh, a player has ever played in a, a winner-go-home game in the Garden since LeBron, back when he was on the Heat, drops 47, which I think is a, was a record for a close for an elimination away win in, in the Garden. And Yeah, two, two points ahead of that LeBron game in 2012. Yeah, I mean, and he just couldn't miss a single shot. It was crazy. So then going into going into game seven, I, I thought we blew it. I was, I, you can ask anybody who I was talking to over the weekend, I thought that we had no shot. I thought that the blowing that game at home was the nail in the coffin, especially based on not only just how Butler played, but then just how Struess just kept hitting clutch threes. Guys like Kyle Lowry finally woke up from the dead and was hit, like I think finished with 20 points, even though he fouled out. Everybody yeah, on the he had, eight, like he had 18 and 10 in game six. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like that was the only good game that Lowry played in the series. Granted, I think he missed the first two, but seeing that he was back, theoretically, like, you know, just looking at how he played in game five or game six, I was like, okay, I guess that maybe the Heat are just getting hot at the right time. And I think what the series came down to was the fact that the Celtics just had more health that they could throw at the Heat than what the Heat could have. Because, you know, Butler clearly was playing like on a knee for like half the series. Yeah. Lowry, dead dead man walking throughout. I thought he was basically unplayable through certain parts of the series. And we can get into that later. But then like the Celtics had their own injuries, you know, Smart and Horford going in with ankle injuries and COVID. Rob Williams was only playing 20 minutes a night, barely. He wasn't even going in the fourth quarter, you know. And it looked bad. It looked tentative and, and not with it at all. Yeah, game minutes, seven was especially horrible. in game seven. Yeah, in, in game in game five, he looked great, and you know, it was a, and all these games have been blowouts, so all these guys were resting. As as grueling of a fight that these games were, it seemed like whoever was just going to win the game was going to be able to rest their stars for like the last five minutes, and that I think does make a big deal because you're getting some of the role players some crucial minutes just to get their blood going, but then also just getting some valuable rest for some of like these guys who are ice packs up and down their body, right? I mean, like, this was a great series because you had just a rock fight of a series with guys who have been there, haven't been there, want to be there. Like, guys like P.J. Tucker, who's, like, I would say is one of the more respected guys in the league. Al Horford, oh, yeah. you know, Jimmy Butler. Like, they're Kyle Lowry. Say what you want about Kyle Lowry, but, I mean, like, is he not just another worse version of Marcus Smart in terms of, like, one of these, like, gamers where, like, well, he'll, a, he'll argue well, with the rest. In a sense, he's actually, he's actually a better version of Marcus Smart. He does <laughs> all the annoying flopping shit that Marcus Smart does. But just yeah. in terms of, like, a feel of how a point guard runs a team. Yes. He has that better than Marcus Smart because he's a, nat you know, he's a natural point guard. He's been in the league forever. And right. even, like... And he didn't play great in Game 7, and he looked unplayable at no. points because he was clearly hurt and he was clearly out of shape when he was coming back. Yeah. But every shot that he made, he was 5 for 17. His makes seemed to be enormous makes at that yeah. point in the game where it was like it looked like they were completely out of it and he makes a big play. And I game love six, that about Kyle exactly Lowry. like that. Yeah, yeah. I love six. that about Kyle Lowry. I've been a, I, it's yeah. funny because like you know my feelings on Marcus Smart and Grant Williams right. and we'll get right. into Marcus Smart's game 7 in a little bit, but sure. you know my feelings about Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, all the flopping crap. I hate it when Chris Paul does it. I hate it when Devin Booker does it. I don't particularly enjoy it when Kyle Lowry does it. 
But for some reason, Kyle Lowry, I have a softer spot for Kyle Lowry. And maybe it's because he just, in big spots, he just makes big shots. And no one's career changed in terms of trajectory than in that game six when he was on Toronto in 2019 Mm -hmm. against Golden State, where he was arguably arguably the best player on the floor in a finals clinching game. So I I just have a soft spot for Kyle Lowry, even as annoying as he is. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I actually have the, the, the rewind of the game on right now in the background and I'm watching and like Lowry just is, doesn't have it clearly in the first quarter. As I said before, I missed uh, the first half uh, because I was at a wedding, but just rewatching and seeing how these guys on both sides, because they're so tired and it's game seven, everybody's banged up as Ty Lue always says but everybody's playing, but you could just see that there was just a level of health and energy and ability that the heat just couldn't get to, even as they were making their comeback in the fourth, you just had guys who just, you couldn't really faithfully say this shot's going in and game six, they, you didn't believe it either because based on how the first five games of the series were playing, the heat's half court offense was just so hard. I don't even want to say bad. It It was inconsistent because it was going game to game swings because bam, had one great game. Jimmy had two great games, maybe three great, three great games. Well, and three, Lowry three great games. Well. Jimmy yeah. played well game one. Yep. He had the masterpiece in game, in game, uh, what was it? In game six. In game six. And he yep. was tremendous in game seven. Yeah. And even, even in game two, I think he had 30. So yeah. it's not like he was like a, he was not a, 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 a schlub or anything by any means, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Bam had the big game three and the big game six. But other than that, he was a little inconsistent too. Yeah, and I think that that is something that he'll have to look back on, and we can have that discussion later of where you think Bam is as a big or as a player in the league, because you you end up having a thirty five year old Al Horford who is a lot better than what his age shows. Because from a box score perspective, he didn't have a good game by any means. But if you watch the game, what he's doing on defense, being able to alter shots, stay with guys, keeping them parallel away from the basket and just kind of altering how a player can go to the hole. That's something that obviously isn't going to show up in the stat sheet. But, you know, when you think of a guy like Bam Adebayo, you're like, this guy should be like, what, top five center in the league or top five power forward in the league? And Well, I, I think he's already a top five center in the league. I, I And I don't disagree with it, but I just felt like this was a series where he has historically been really good against the Celtics, but for some reason... He didn't have a great series. He didn't have a great series, and I know Rob Williams does add an element to that defense where it's hard for him, but he still didn't look right. And Rob Williams only played like 20 minutes a night, barely played, especially down the stretch in all of the games, because either he was too hurt or the game was out of, out of hand at that point. So I was kind of disappointed in Bam's performance, and that's, I think, kind of where it came down to, because it was really just Jimmy at the end, just kind of figuring it out by himself. You couldn't really rely on the other guys. Well, I, I gave, you know, talked about Jimmy effusively in the monologue. And yeah. I, the guy is just a gamer. Yeah, he's a little bit of a nutcase. But you can't tell me that coming out of this series, when, you know, he does what he does the last two games, that he's not one of the... 10 or 11 best players in the league. I've been saying this for a couple of years now. And I just, last night was validation. You know, the last week was basically validation of that. And you look back at like the Philadelphia 76ers, right? When they swing the trade for Jimmy Butler. And basically they chose the combo of Al Horford because they, he had played Joel Embiid so well, Al Horford, to some degree, Ben Simmons, and to some degree, Brett Brown over Jimmy Butler. And you're just like, my goodness. It, it's just the Philadelphia 76ers continue to be this, this unbelievable, weird chemistry experiment that has gone horrifically wrong where it could have been so, so bright. And what makes it worse is that Joel Embiid hints to this all the time in his post-game press conferences and on social media. But enough about the 76ers. I want to ask you this. So obviously the last play happens. The furious comeback, and we'll get to the last four minutes in that fourth quarter because I'm not really sure the Celtics want to really look at those last four minutes again, ever again. But okay, so heater down to... Marcus drives, gets the, uh, you know, puts up a flail off the backboard, misses. Jimmy, who has played 
every single minute of that game after playing, I think, 44 minutes in game six, you know, off a bad knee. When he's got the ball in transition, Al Horford's backing up. And as you mentioned, Al Horford as a positional defender in terms of deterring guys to going to the rim. When he put up that pull-up three, did you think it was going in? Because I thought it was going in. I thought I thought it was going in. I thought it was going to be like just the all-time classic where were you when that shot went in kind of play. Yeah. It was it was one of those let making making of a legend shots, right? And I looking again on the replay, he has Horford one-on-one there. The Celtics did have a foul to give, so maybe he doesn't get fouled going up with the shot, but maybe he just gets fouled. I think the right play would have been to go for the layup and you and I can debate that. Other people I know are going to say the three was the right play there because it puts them up by one. You don't want to necessarily play for overtime where your team is so gassed. You're not sure if if they have anything left, but just given Jimmy's uh, struggles as a three-point shooter, despite a a couple big threes he had earlier in that game and his performance in game six, I don't think that was the right shot for him personally, just because he's not that guy. I think he's below uh, 30% uh, threes this year. And I think lifetime, he's not that great. 28% in the regular season. Yeah, so it's not great. I mean, but when you're feeling it and you have the tides turning and granted how the last four minutes of the game were going, the Celtics are up 13, 14, but it felt like they were only up two and they start staging that huge comeback. I just figured based on how Jimmy plays and I feel like Jimmy is like one of the last players of the pre-three ball analytics era where he's just so good at getting to the hole, getting a couple up fakes and then getting the foul and one. And that was kind of like his move the entire series. I just figured like that probably would have been the better play. Granted, we're looking at it hindsight 2020. I just didn't think that it made sense necessarily for him to take the shot. See, I, I went the other way. Yeah. I thought, and first of all, for a guy who played that well in game six and in game seven, you know, I, I'm not questioning his, you know, he earned that shot, right? Oh, 100%. Like you, by all that, you, yeah. earn, you earn that shot with the performance you put on. And sure. I know what the numbers say in the regular season. But he's a different animal in the playoffs. Yeah. A different beast. And he played all 48 minutes. And you could tell that he was gassed. And you could tell that Lowry was gassed. You could tell they were all gassed. And he had a little momentum. And he's like, I'm just going to try and win it here. And he earned the right to do that. And Especially, I, yeah. Yeah. Especially because the play before where they were down five. And Strews they set up hits a the monster three. The hits on off of the curl, and it was an incredible three. So I, I mean, just based on how the momentum was going, I totally get him taking the three, and you know, couple that with how he's been playing, how everybody else has been playing, and you don't know if you can actually get it done in overtime. I totally get it because everything's riding with you. And how many times have has anybody who's ever picked up a basketball wanted to be the one who takes that shot? Because well, I'll it, tell you this, you know, I've never played at that level, not even close. But like, if I, that was me and like. An intramural game, I'm taking that exact shot. Yeah, because you earned it. You earned it. If yeah. you have it going like that, you earn it. And and if you're playing all all those minutes, you try and win it there. Yeah. Luckily, he doesn't. Thankfully, and I'm as a make or miss league. There it is. It's a make or miss league. And then just even after that play, because I don't know if you saw afterwards, Brown, who was the reason that we lost game game five against the Bucks because he couldn't grab the rebound, which led to the Bobby Portis putback. He actually had the, the awareness to actually punch the ball out towards Horford, who ends up securing the rebound, who then kicks it out to Smart. So I, it was just one of those crazy moments where they even asked Brown, I think, in the post-game presser, like, what were you thinking when the shot was going? And he was like, are you kidding me? Kind of, because it was like, not again. Like, this isn't going to happen again. And he's like, I just wanted to make sure, because I'm in the play, at least I can, like, try to push the ball up on the rebound because that's what they needed more than anything. Because even if the Celtics get the rebound back, they have to advance the ball up the court. And, you know, luckily they finally make their free throws. Marcus redeems Jalen for the game six misses. I mean, just. Well, crazy. and he also, Marcus redeemed himself for a lot of misses in that, in that game. Yeah. Well, I, I would say this because in the third quarter, he, I think scored nine points because they got off to a really hot start. And he also made some tough threes of his own. I think he, made two or three threes, but then towards the end of the game, the Heat were basically doubling Tatum with another guy kind of helping out, and they were basically daring Horford and Smart to beat them with the three ball. 
and that's not the wrong play, even if both of them nope. have been good three-point shooters in the playoffs and over the course of this year, it's not the wrong play with that much time left in the game. Like you want to make you want to make Tatum beat you, and he only took three shots, I think, in the fourth quarter. And we can talk about it because two of those shots were just incredible. The turnaround with yeah. two seconds oh. left on the shot clock, that Oof. was beautiful. And then the three where he was fading away to the left with no second, with no time left on the shot clock over Struess was also incredible. I mean, those were, I'd say, the two biggest shots of the game that were hit, right? Yeah. So, Marcus, Marcus's game, uh, game seven. Yeah. I uh, obviously the formula of him leading the team in shot attempts is not a winning formula. That, that, that's not going to be sustainable in terms of winning basketball games for the Celtics. Right. But a lot of them were were wide open. Yeah. My my biggest thing with Marcus was, and, and this was like the team as a whole, was at the end of the game, they were like walking the ball up the floor. Yeah. Yeah. And getting I didn't into their that. stuff too late. Tatum's getting doubled. They're selling out on Tatum. And then all of a sudden it's Marcus and Jalen Brown who can't dribble more than twice without doing something ridiculous. Right. And they're getting into their stuff late. And it's just like, you got to yeah. move a little bit, even with the lead, because and that's yep. where the bad possessions came, and that's when Miami went on an eleven nothing run. Right. I mean, and like, say what you want about the refereeing. I thought the refereeing in this series was horrible, both sides, because the swings. But a lot were of so the fouls bad. in Game Seven, a lot of the fouls were fouls. They were fouls on both sides. On both yeah. sides, but it just seemed. And I think I think the the free throws ended up the free throw disparity ended up evening out. I it, it was. The, the thing that bothered me, and it comes down to gamesmanship, was the offensive charges that were seemingly getting called every time and the lack of moving screens that were called both ways. And maybe that's just how different crews will call it or what the league is telling the referees to be looking for. But it, that was just one of those things where neither team was able to really go on like a big enough of a run to swing a quarter, which kind of was the recipe for the series. Whoever basically was winning the third quarter and would go on a 20 20- Oh, run, which both teams did throughout the series, was the one who's going to win the game. And because of all the stoppages, whether it be just because guys were exhausted and they weren't making shots, or a combination of that plus the referees kind of getting away, there was not a flow to the game where you could really extend a lead where you'd have a 20 point swing. And, you know, thankfully the Celtics end up pulling through, but that's something that they're going to have to work on. Because as you said, in the last three minutes, they're walking up the ball, they're not getting into their offensive sets until there's only like 13 seconds left on the clock. And even though you're only up 13, 14 points in this type of league, where it is where you can have guys like Struess, Jimmy and Oladipo just start making threes, which they did in coming Oladipo back. Oladipo made a big three. That yeah, trail, that trail three where, where Jimmy hit him, but he didn't have a great game. No, he didn't. Even though he ended up being like plus 16 or something in the box score, it was still a very, like, it was, it was a game where the good defensively. Like, he was very yeah. good defensively the entire series. Yes, very good defensively the entire series. Just offensively, they just, the heat, I mean, that was kind of what we knocked the heat on the whole time, whereas their half-court offense just isn't that strong. And I don't know, you, you, you talked about how, like, Jimmy Butler's, like, at least no worse than top 11. I don't know. I feel like Butler is one of those guys who maybe is, like, hitting the prime in the wrong era. You know, like how we talk about how, like, some bigs, like, would be so much better in old eras. I think Jimmy is perfect for – the last era of basketball right before Steph and the three ball became such a big thing because his game is transition, making the right play and just a really good spot up shooter in the mid range. and can get to the, and can get to the post. Then he's a multiple level defender, right? Like, I don't know who, if he reminds you of anybody specifically, I think he's like a little bit of a less athletic version of Dwayne Wade, just because of how tough he was and his ability to guard multiple positions and like his inconsistent, but when he's hot, hot jumper, right? Because that's kind of what happened in the playoffs. That's, but that's not a bad comp. I think he, I think his defensive ceiling was higher than Wade's as a yes. as a defensive stopper. Um, yes, I'm not. The playmaking's close. I mean, Jimmy's turned himself into a great playmaker. I wanted to ask yeah. you about about um, Tatum for a second. Sure. You know, had a tremendous series for the most part. Makes the right play. Yeah. How much in the fourth quarter were you just like, you know, you don't want to play hero ball, right? You don't want to play hero ball. You're getting doubled. You want to make the right play. But how much right. were you thinking as that fourth quarter is unfolding? Like, Jason, we need you to sometimes do a little bit more hero ball, right? And it's a fine line. But I yeah. think at that moment in the game, it's like, 
if I was a Celtics fan, I'd be like, you got to take more shots. And yeah. even if they're forced a little bit, but you're that dude, right? You're that guy. You got to bring us home a little bit more. We can't be banking on, on Marcus, right? We, we don't want Jalen Brown handling it. Like, you got to do it a little bit. I, I totally – I'm with you. Issue? Yeah, I, I think it was really – I mean, and this has kind of just been, like, what his ascension has been as a player where he was always trying to do a little too much hero ball, and then it would end up being him taking these really poor shots where he's kind of, like, doing, like, these turnaround jumpers from behind, like, right in front of the three-point line, or he'll run into three or four guys. And that was kind of what the Celtics' issue was – earlier in the season where they're just kind of having Jason run into like two or three different guys who are just kind of waiting for him at the paint. And then he throws his hands up and there's no foul call. And then they're coming back the other way. But I think what he did in the fourth quarter was he took the big shots that needed to take. And then once the heat adjusted and started doubling him, he was making the right pass. Yeah. It just, you know, Marcus's shots didn't go in, but Marcus was making threes earlier in the game too. Horford was making threes earlier in the game. But the shots that he needed to make, as we said before, were those big ones where it was the turnaround jumper with the shot clock expiring. And then that three where he's kind of taking the runner off to the left. And, you know, his defense held up. He played really well. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be the guy who takes the shots. It's just the guy who's making the right basketball play. Right. That's always been the debate between like the Kobe's and the LeBron's or like the LeBron's and the MJ's where what is it the right basketball play for your best player to have the ball in his hands to take the shot or is the best play just to have the best player make the best play. And sometimes that's kicking it to the wing for the open three. If I was a a Celtics fan watching last night. Yeah. I, it's a fine line. Again, it's a fine line and, and the game dictates how you have to do it. But I would have, I would have really liked for him to have taken one or two more attempts than watching Marcus take the attempts. That's yeah. I, I think, I think had Marcus been healthier and just been more consistent in the series, he would have been gotten those opportunities. But if you're going to have him with the lead slowly dwindling, taking these contested shots with two guys on and maybe even a third guy, and you don't have that rebounding presence because Rob's not in there. Horford's yeah. gas because he's playing like 46, 48 minutes. It kind of makes sense to me that you have to find the open guy. But this is also hindsight 2020 because in right. game six, he didn't take him and Jay, him and Jalen didn't take the ball and they choke away the game, even though they were trying to come back. Like that's the game where you need to have your big players play. And sometimes, you know, it just comes down to the big player making the right play, maybe not necessarily making the shot. And in his case, he made the right plays and the right shots. Yeah. From one J to the next, Jalen Brown. Like, what's the deal? Uh, What's the deal with this guy? Because I I can't, for the life of me, figure this guy out. Like, in a game he has 40 points, he plays one of the worst 40-point games of all time. Right? Yes. Yes. What's going on here? (laughs) I I really think – part of it is him just only being 25 and like still trying to figure out his role. And I think part of that was established when Jason, Jason Tatum took the ascension to be the top dog on the team. While Marcus smart kind of took the role as the leader spiritual guy. And then you had Al Horford kind of being the veteran and and Jalen is just saying, Hey, what can I do? And sometimes it's being the guy who dribbles off of his own foot or dribbles into traffic and turns the ball over or takes too many shots. But I think this was the series for him where he kind of had to figure out and become the guy who, when the ball is in your hands, it's because we want you to score, but don't try to do too much. And I think that's just part of the growing pains with a, with a player like him. He's not a guy who's going to break you down unless you're a horrible defender, like a Grayson Allen or like a Max Struess type, right? Like he's only going to beat you off of a dribble with his athleticism. He's not going to beat you with any type of handle package. And that's part of the frustrations with him. He's a frustrating player to watch, but at the same time, he's a good second or third guy on a team that you need on a championship team because he makes shots down the stretch and he isn't afraid. I think that's the number one thing that he's not afraid. Well, Celtics fans should be afraid anytime he dribbles the ball more than twice and going straight line because I know he's trying to find himself in the hierarchy of the team, but like, the sheer ability to, to handle the ball. Like it's rough. It's really rough. And and the free throw shooting hasn't been good either. And oh, he's man. like the linchpin for the team. Like if he, yeah. 
at this point, you, Tatum has been consistent enough. And again, he's had a couple of clunkers, fine. But like it happens, he's it happens. been consistent enough where you're you're expecting numbers. You're expecting certain, you know, production. Like Jalen is the swing piece. And going into a series with Golden State, and as flawed as Golden State is in terms of just like being a little loosey-goosey with the ball, sometimes it looks like they're, they, they're too arrogant to like really give a crap. But like Golden State's got guys who can, you know, secondary ball handlers who can handle besides for Steph. Like if Jalen's not going to – if Jalen's going to be bad with the basketball, like do you think they can hang? Because I'm not sure they can. I don't think so, only because the numbers have said when Jalen is turning the ball over five, six times, and if Tatum does it too, then the Celtics lose. So it really just comes down to – if Jalen can hold on to the ball and not dribble it out of bounds or dribble it into a, a, a swing defender, then yes, the Celtics should be able to win just because they're limiting the turnovers. This whole series, I think for the Celtics was them just shooting themselves in the foot because that's kind of how on paper it was looking like just based on how talented the Celtics are. You know, that's the one thing I don't really understand yeah. with this team is, and it's so frustrating is because there were games and at times in certain quarters where they're going up 10, but then they, give up a 20 to two runs of the heat in game uh, in game in game one, right. Or game three or whatever it was. It's, it just comes down to whether or not they are going to be self-inflicting themselves with these turnover issues. And that's just when, it, when it's going to come down to, you said before, the Warriors are the type of team where they're either going to be hitting 33s in a game or they're hitting 10 threes in a game. And that can determine where they go in a night. But for the Celtics, it's not hitting shots for them. It's turnovers. Because that's the t- those are the teams that will always take advantage, especially a running gun team like the Warriors. But credit to, I mean, credit to the Heat because that's what the Heat do. They're gritty. They yes. muck it up, right? Like yes. it's it's not just like they knew that anytime Jalen puts the ball down on the floor, just like somebody just start crowding him, send another guy over, and it's a turnover the other way. Like the tape is out there, and you got to expect. Yeah, and you yeah. got to expect that Golden State, who's a, a good defensive team, is going to do the same. Uh, yes. I just – as good as Bo- – like Boston's interesting in terms of this finals run. First of all, this has been like the best team of this iteration of the Jalen Jason, Marcus Smart team like by far, right? Like the yeah, other I'm times where they've been in the co- conference finals, like they weren't supposed to be there, right? Mm-hmm. If they would have lost this game given the fact that you know, Tyler Hero, who's really important for the Heat in terms of a secondary uh, creator of shots and a secondary score to Jimmy, like, you know, it, he was a shell of himself because of physically, like, if he's healthy, who knows? Like, it, we could be talking about the Heat in the finals. Uh, but, yet, you know, credit to Boston for outlasting him, but given where it, it's – given where they are, like, they've been resilient for a while now, right? The metrics, the defensive metrics have been off the charts for the last couple of months going into the playoffs and in the playoffs. How confident are you going into this series against Golden State? Knowing that Golden State, as as high of an upside as they have, you know, has some warts too. I think I've just been really low on the Warriors the whole uh, postseason, especially towards the end of the regular season as well, only because of the injuries that – uh, Steph had, and then just Clay not being what Clay used to be from two or three years ago. Understandably, I just didn't really believe all the hype around the Jordan Pool and the Draymond resurgence. So, to me, I think right now the Celtics are still the better team, even though the Warriors have more rest and they have the pedigree because they have guys who at least have been there. Where the Celtics have, I don't think any players currently have been in a finals game. Maybe Derek White, although I'm not sure. I think Ime Udoka is actually the only guy who's ever been in a finals on the Celtics side. So. I still like the Celtics on paper, especially if Rob Williams is back to at least 85 to hundred percent only because of what they can do defensively and how they're able to match up against the Warriors. Because historically speaking, I, I saw the stat, I think on sports center where since Kerr took over as the coach, Celtics the Warriors, are the only team that have a winning record against uh, the Kerr led Warriors. Yes. And even this year, I think they split the series, but both of the times is the Celtics were just playing very well. I think just because of Marcus is a guy who can play well against Curry. And then you have two wings in Brown and Tatum who can play defensively and you can switch well, plus Horford, obviously, and the lack of the paint presence that 
the uh, Warriors had, despite how well Looney played, I guess, in the last round, I would just kind of give that defensive edge to the Celtics. Plus, I'm not really sure that the Warriors have a guy who can cover um, Tatum and or Brown off of switches. Clay's a good defender, obviously, but Clay isn't what he used to be. And I don't think that physically he can hold up to a Tatum type of player. Just I don't know. He did a decent job against Luka Doncic. He did. But at the same time, what happened in that series was that the Mavs just kind of didn't have anybody else to, to even make any shots, right? Like it was a very non-competitive series as the games went on just because Luka ran out of steam and Dorian Finney-Smith was just like your only other guy. You had like Reggie Bullock. Well, you had Brunson up. for game four. You had Finney-Smith for game four. Like you had dudes, but again, you yeah. know, it's – when you when you're that reliant on the three ball and I don't yeah. and the Celtics shoot a lot of threes too. I mean it, it's do. not as much as Dallas does, but they shoot a right. lot of threes. But yeah, no, I, I Wiggins Wiggins held up against Luca, so you have to assume that you know if you hold up like that against Tatum, are are the Celtics going to be able to score enough points? Are they going to be able to generate enough points to win a game? where you ha- might have to get to 115, 120. That's, a, that, that's where the biggest question mark of the series is because especially in that series between the Mavs and the Warriors, I was watching it with my wife and we just kept remarking about how the teams would just get in transition, shoot a three, go back down the other way, shoot another three. And the Celtics are not that type of team, but hopefully the Celtics then kind of look during this week of preparation or four days of preparation and realize that they can't be the type of team that kind of uh, goes toe to toe in like a shootout with the Warriors, but if they can slow the ball, slow the game down, and kind of do like what the Heat were able to do at times, and kind of play at their own pace, then they should be able to win. Just because their half court offense is, I think, better than Warriors half court defense, and I think that the Warriors half court offense, as good as it is, will have trouble with the wings and the length and size that the Celtics do have, assuming everybody's healthy, of course. So your the matchup or, you know, the advantage that the Celtics have to you, what's their biggest advantage in this series? Is it, is I, it, the, is it the wing length in terms of defensively? Is the, is that the matchup or is that the thing that gives them the biggest advantage? I would say so. I, I would say so just because I don't think that they have a guy who can match up well with Tatum consistently. It depends how they end up playing, but but define yeah. consistent. What 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 does consistent look like, right? I think if, if Tatum if Tatum is scoring twenty between twenty three and thirty a night, then I I don't then I think the Celtics are winning the series regardless. I think it's going to be a close you, series. Whoa, hold on. you you think that if he scores twenty three a night, that that's going to be enough to get them to potentially one fifteen? I don't think that they have to get to one fifteen. I just think they just have to hold the Warriors to a hundred. Because what the Celtics have been doing in, I think, that whole playoff series, I know that the Heat are obviously a worse team offensively, as were the Bucks. But if you're holding teams to under 100 points, that means that your defense is pretty good, regardless of what the supporting cast on the other team is. So if you're going to hold the team to 100, I like your chances. And I, I, I think because of just how valuable guys like Marcus and Jalen are, where they can also give you 20 points a night. You don't need Tatum to have 30 a night just because he he's not the guy who needs to score 30 a night for this team in order for them to be successful. They just need to hold the other team to less than 100, and then you should be fine. So I would say that. That's a tall say, task, this. I know. This, I know. It's going to be a good series. I, I, I think this is going to be a very fun series, and I think it goes seven just because it's going to take a lot of figuring out. There's always going to be questions about health, especially with older guys uh, like Horford, injured guys like Williams and um, and Smart, and then just, you know, having guys who haven't been there before and maybe they get a little too tight when the lights get really bright versus guys like on the Warriors where, you know, Clay, Draymond, and Steph, I think, have like a combined 180 playoff games, basically, based on their resume. Six finals so, in eight years. Right. I mean, they've been there. Kerr's been there. And let's not forget, this is rookie head coach Ime Udoka, rookie point guard you know, Marcus Smart, as you said before, it kind of comes down to being able to play at the pace you want to play at, where I'm going to give credit to Lowry and Jimmy Butler, where, and Chris Paul, they can make you play at their pace because they're experienced in their positions and holding the ball. Marcus Smart is not that type of guy yet. 
he's been great for them as a point guard, obviously, because he's had years of tutelage under guys like Kyrie, Kemba, Isaiah Thomas is what to and what not to do as an offensive point guard and just realizing that he's not the guy. But if you're the one who's able to keep the tides on your side and make them play a full 24 second shot clock, half court defense, I think that benefits the Celtics more than it benefits the Warriors. What's the matchup for you that scares you the most? I would say on defense, the matchup that scares me the most is Jalen Brown against Klay Thompson, just because Jalen's not as strong of a defender. And I'm not sure if they'll end up matching up against each other, although I figure that Thompson will cover him and vice versa. I think that would be what I'm worried about from a Celtics fan, just because Clay was looking good, but then unbelievable old Clay wise in game six, where he had like eight threes. And if that's what you're going to be getting in the finals, then you're going to need to have better defense than just what Jalen's been giving you from a night to night basis. Cause Jalen's defense has been arguably enough, the biggest weakness to that team's defense on the, that when it comes down to a half court defense. So to me, that's going to be the key for the Celtics on offense. It's going to have to just be making sure other guys are just getting, hitting their shots. What about you? I think Jordan Poole should worry you guys. He's kind of like waiting in the wings a little bit, but traditionally the Celtics have had trouble with guys like that. You know, that size, that style of play, the heat check kind of dudes. And, and he's like a better Tyler hero, right? Is that what? Yeah. And I think he's, and I think he's due to break out. Like he's, he's due to break out. So prediction time. What do you think? I think that the Celtics are just a storybook right now based on how they were dead in the water. People were saying to break up the team back in December, January, they go on this incredible run where it seems like they've exercised the demons of seasons past and postseasons past where they end up beating teams that have knocked them out in each of like the last three playoffs with the heat Eastern conference finals, the bucks a couple years ago. And then the Nets last year, uh, I think they were able to exercise their demons. They know who they are. And I think they're the, hot team right now that with a fully healthy lineup should win. That being said with a Warriors team in there, it's going to have to go seven games. I think the quality between these two teams, smart basketball, toughness and shot making ability will not make this series go any less than six games. I'm going to take the Celtics in seven Tatum hoisting the MVP. How about you? I, first of all, I love the fact that this series and, and these playoffs have kind of these teams are like perfectly imperfect almost yes. where it, it makes it compelling. And I know last round you had a lot of blowouts, but the last two games made up for that. And then some, because it was really compelling. The, the Bucks Celtics series was great. Um, I, I think the Warriors in seven only because I think they have home court and I just trust the infrastructure there. Sure. But I don't feel good about it. Like I was seeing, I was seeing on Twitter, guys were just like, "Oh, either of these teams would get waxed by the Warriors in five. and I don't get that at all. Yeah, like, I don't really understand teams, that. These teams are gritty, man. They muck it up, and like we saw the Warriors against a depleted Memphis team have some trouble that was just mucking it up. And maybe the Warriors are getting hot at the right time, right? And maybe they're finding their stride. I, I don't know, but I don't think this Celtics team is revealed resilient as they've been over the last couple of months is just going to like get curb stomped. So I'm going to say golden state and seven. I don't feel good about it at all, but I'm really excited to watch it. Yeah. I, I think another big part of this is that based on how the last series went for both teams, you had the warriors with this ability to erase 20 point leads so quickly, just with the volatility of a Steph clay, and um, and pool uh, triple threat, I think that isn't really going to be able to be possible for the Celtics to go up 20 and say the game's over. Because what the Heat struggled with was having guys kind of score for them. You didn't, you weren't really able to get a night where Bam, Jimmy, and a Lowry or a Hero would be able to get going for your offense. So whoever, whichever team went down by 20, that was kind of the ball game. It was basically trying to play catch up the rest of the way. But with the Warriors, I don't think that gives you that opportunity. The Celtics are up 20. They're, they have to keep their foot on the on the pedal, which is something that they've been struggling with, especially in the last series against the Heat, because they were up 15 with a few minutes left. And then all of a sudden, it's Jimmy Butler made three away from, you know, losing a heartbreaking fashion. So for them, it has to be 
okay, if we're up in double digits, we just have to keep going. And I, I it'll be, I, I wonder what you think is going to be the key for the Warriors on defense only because they don't scare me enough where if the Celtics can just get past the perimeter and just attack the hold, I don't think Draymond and Looney Kaminga and I guess Wiggins to an extent are enough to deter the guys driving only because the Celtics have had to play against the Bam Adebayo's of the world, the Giannis Antetokounmpo's of the world, you know. These oh, I, 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 I think you're underselling Draymond Green as a defender when he's fully engaged. I mean, he's probably one of the two or three best defenders in the league, team defenders and, 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 and whatnot. For oh, me, I don't, I don't want to discount that at all. I'm just saying in terms of the, the physical, right. the physical powers that. Yeah, but, uh, but, but smarts makes up for that. You know, smart, sure, smarts makes sure. up for that defensive smarts. Uh, for me, yeah. if I'm, if I'm the, the Warriors, like I'm treating Tatum like Luca. Yep. And I'm telling Wiggins, listen, man, this is you. Sometimes you're going to get roasted. Like Raja Bell talked about this a lot on his podcast with Lodogan Murdoch, which is actually really good, where he talks about Great what podcast, he had to guard, yeah. when he had to guard Kobe Bryant in like those classic Suns mm-hmm. um, Lakers series, where he's just like, we're not helping. Like, Sometimes you're going to get roasted, right? You're going to get roasted for 40. It's going to happen, right? But you're just going to have to make them work, and that's it. We're not letting everybody else go off because if he gets 40, they're still going to have to make up, you know, another 55, 60 points to beat us. And if I'm the Warriors, that's what you have to do. And when Jalen puts the ball on the floor, you just you swarm. There are going to be games where Marcus Smart's going to knock down threes. You live with it, and and I'm not sure. And again, I, I don't have a great feel, but I'm not sure they have enough offensive, consistent offensive punch to get to 110, 115. Which, if the Warriors are right, that's what's going to take. Yeah, it'll be interesting because I feel like in the last round in the Western Conference Finals, you had the Warriors basically getting to the rim at will. And when you think of the Warriors, you don't think about I don't that. think that's going to happen this season. I don't think it, I don't think so either. I think that that's where the Celtics defense comes in with their length and their size, even without a hundred percent Rob Williams. It's just not a way that I, I could see the Warriors winning. I feel like the way the Warriors are going to be winning is because they're going to be winning in transition and they're just going to be all lighting it up from three point land. But that's kind of where, when you have the Celtics length, once again, on the perimeter, if you're just going to say, okay, we're just going to stay at home, you're going to have to either get past us or you're going to have to chuck a three over us. I think that's what the Celtics are going to be looking for. But that's just personally where I'm at. And that's why I have like a little bit more confident in the Celtics. Plus, they're just a, I would say they're more battle-tested in this playoff run where the Warriors, obviously more battle-tested historically, it's just not the same Warriors team with a little bit of an older team, a little bit more injury-hampered as well. So you're riding with your boys in seven. I'm riding with the Warriors in seven. It's going to be. I think it's going to be a really compelling series. I think it's going to be an entertaining series. I yep. think it's going to do a huge number in terms of ratings. It's it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. But I got to get ready for the Rangers game seven against the Canes right now. Avi Wexler, congratulations. You guys won the East. Jason Tatum w- winning that goofy-ass Larry Bird Eastern Conference trophy. That's terrible. But congratulations on winning the conference. And, and obviously we'll text – throughout the playoffs like we always do. Of course. Awesome. Thanks for Thanks having for the me time, bud. Hopefully, hopefully we'll be back on later. I'll speak to you. All right. Thanks again to recurring guest Avi Wexler for coming on. Short notice, might I add, to talk about the NBA Finals and the Celtics advancing. Good stuff from him, as usual. Let's go, Rangers. And with that said, episode 159, For the Love of the Game. Take us out, Pop.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.